In the beginning was the Word, and that Word brought chaos to order, gave the seas and skies their border. One day the Word who made man became man. The Word from the beginning spoke, and the world started over. Since that time, all creation, every nation, has been racing and chasing, just trying to measure up, catch up to what Jesus said. Well, good morning. It's great to see everybody. Welcome to Seacoast Church. My name is Josh Surratt. If I haven't met you, I serve as the lead pastor here, and we are glad that you guys are all with us. If you are one of our campuses, uh, we just had a fire alarm go off here about five minutes ago, and nobody left. It was awesome. So it's kind of like, you know, Old Testament stuff going on up in this church. But, uh, but good stuff. We're glad that all of you are with us as well. Uh, I want to give a shout out to our North Charleston campus. We have a Dream Center up in North Charleston, and this weekend was a big weekend. We do Cinderella Day. Uh, every year, and it's a day where we have hundreds of young ladies come in, and uh, thousands of, of you have donated dresses over the years where we kind of prepare them for prom, and get, they're able to come and, and shop for prom dresses for free, and there are all kinds of services that are offered up there. There are uh, people doing makeup and hair, and it's such a cool deal. They did that this weekend, and so I got a couple of pictures for you from that. This is kind of the, they turned the whole church into a, a shopping center here, and uh, this is a cool picture of this girl after she tried on her dress and kind of got made up, looked in the mirror and just kind of broke down. It's such a cool picture of what God is doing through here. And, and the whole goal is that they would know that they're beautiful and that they're loved beyond anything that anybody can show them here on this earth, but, but by a love that goes deeper than that. We sang about that love just a couple of moments ago. And so uh, super excited about that. Uh, way to go, Dream. Let's celebrate Dream Center. Good job to those guys. And... um. Yeah, so, so super, super cool stuff going on here. Another, another thing that you guys may not know, did y'all know that Seacoast Church is celebrating our 30-year birthday coming up this Easter Sunday? 30 years will turn uh, this Easter, which is really cool. I don't know if anybody knew it would, would make it this far, uh, but, but anytime you have a birthday with a zero on the end of it, uh, it causes for some reflection, doesn't it? You kind of look back on your life and look at what matters and what you've done, and, and you also wanna look ahead to see if you need to change courses or, or go in a different direction. And so if you'll humor me, I've been reflecting a little bit about the journey of Seacoast. Uh, 30 years ago, you know, for me it began when we lived in Freeport, Illinois. I was about eight years old and my father, who's the founding pastor, came and had a family meeting in our living room. And basically what he said was, hey guys, I've got a vision, mom and I are excited, we're gonna move to Charleston, South Carolina. Uh, he could have said Korea. I had no idea where that was, but it was a long way from home. Uh, and he said, we've got a vision. We wanna start a church for people who don't normally go to church. And the city's called the Holy City, and there's lots of great churches in the city, and, but we wanna kind of really target people who don't already have a church to go to. And, and it was this great vision, and we didn't buy into it. It was like, no, Dad, that's, there are people in Charleston that can do that. Why don't we start a church for unchurched people in Freeport, Illinois? Because we live here already. Uh, and, and, but he was convinced that God had called him to do it, and so we moved down here, and some of you heard the story. We got here, and before we launched the church, we embarked on the most obnoxious marketing campaign known to man. We did a telethon. We did a, a phone deal. 16,000 names were in the phone book in Mount Pleasant, South Carolina at the time, and that's where we knew we wanted to plant this church. And so we got a group of people, and including us kids. Uh, I don't know how you feel about child labor, but this church was built on child labor. And so <laughs> we picked up the phone and we called as many people as we could and we would ask them two questions. The first one was, do you go to church? And if they said yes to that, said, man, that is, 
That's awesome. We hope that you'll continue to do that. We hope you'll continue to go to church. God bless you. If they said, no, they don't go to church, we just wanted to find out why. You know, what are the reasons that you don't go to church? And interestingly enough, what we found is that the majority of the reasons, probably 99% of the reasons that people gave us had nothing to do with Jesus, the Bible. They didn't have a problem with God. They just, for a lot of different reasons, didn't feel like the church was relevant to their life anymore. Or maybe some had been burned by a bad experience with the church and all these different things. There were some, some bigger picture things going on in the church landscape at the time, uh, some controversies and people just had a negative taste in their mouth about church. And so we thought, well, if we would address some of those things, would you give it a try? Would you be willing to check it out? And on the first weekend, 350 people did. Uh, and then that number slowly grew to about 120 uh, over the next few, few months. And, uh, and it didn't really catch on right away, but over time, uh, God began to grow and bless this church. And, and, and it's always been our heart that we would be a church that doesn't ignore the people who are in the church, but that really always is thinking about people who don't go to church. And I was doing a funeral just a, about a year or two ago, and the funeral home director was a guy by the name of Stan, Sandy Stir. Stir's funeral home was the one that we were working with for that service. And he pulled me aside uh, before we were getting ready to go in and he said, hey, Josh, have I ever told you about how I met your dad? I was like, no, I've never heard that story. He said, well, I, I was running the funeral home and about 30 years ago, uh, this guy walks in in a suit and tie and he introduces himself. He's got a stack of business cards. He says, my name's Greg Surratt and uh, I'm getting ready to plant a church here called Seacoast Church. And I just wanted you to know that, you know, we've done this phone deal. We know that there are a lot of people in this community who don't go to church. And if any of those people ever find themselves in your environment. I want you to know, and they don't have a pastor, they don't have a church, would you please call me? Because we would love to serve those families. We'd love to come alongside those families. And I was like, wow, I had never heard that story. But that's kind of the, the heartbeat of Seacoast. And I hope we never lose that. As we reflect on 30 years and where do we go from here? You know, a lot of churches start that way. Uh, and almost every church at some point in its journey begins to turn inward. And it's very natural to do it. You know, how many of you know the more stuff that you have, the more things that you have, the, the more you have to lose? You know, but, but, but so, so a lot of times churches will get to a certain place and they'll go, well, man, we've got a lot to protect here. Let's focus on what we have and, and, and make sure we don't lose that. And usually that's the point that they begin a slow death. And my prayer for us this weekend is we kind of have this conversation about Jesus said, we're starting a brand new series called Jesus Said, is that we would even go further back than 30 years ago and the heart behind what started Seacoast and look at the heart that started the church in general. You know, Jesus established the church, Jesus leads the church, and so we wanna go back and look at what did he say that can continue to shape the way that we live our lives, but also the way that we live in community with each other in this great thing called the church. And so if you have your Bibles today, you can open up to the Gospel of Mark. I love the Gospel of Mark because it's, it's kind of the cliff notes. You know, it's, it's not really the cliff notes, but they kind of, he, he, he cuts to the chase. He was writing to the, the Romans, and so he, he kind of went straight to the action. And I love that about the Gospel of Mark. And by the way, you also got, if you came in today, a, a highlighter, and this is just during the series. We got some highlighters, and if you've got the analog version of the Bible here, uh, some of y'all are, what is that thing? You know, um, it's, it's a lot like the app that you have on your phone, except it's actually, you know, got real pages. You can use it. Uh, but, but I encourage you, if you have your phone app, use that as well. You know, there's great apps. But we're gonna be in the Gospel of Mark in the very beginning, 
In fact, one of the very first things that Jesus said in the Gospel of Mark, and what he was doing is he was pulling his core team together to, to launch this ministry that we now know of as the church. And as he began to pull a couple of disciples together, he, he had this conversation with them. You know what, I think I'm, am I off center of the stage a little bit? Y'all didn't notice that, did you? I think I am. That's all right, we'll, we'll work with it. Um, but, but here's what he said. He said to them, who's them? He's, he's got a couple of disciples that he's begun to, to form and develop. And he says, follow me and I will make you become, and, and you have the verse, and if you read ahead, you know this. Some of you are familiar with this verse. But if you weren't, and Jesus was to say very first things to come out of his mouth to these disciples, follow me and I'm gonna turn you into something, what would you assume it might be? I know for me, I would think I'll make you become better, a little bit less sinful. I'll make you become more spiritually mature. I'll make you become more educated about the scriptures. I'll make you, a lot of things that I would think he might say there. But right off the bat, first thing he says is I will make you become fishers of men. That if you'll follow me over time, you're gonna become a fisher of men. And now he was speaking to a group of fishermen. And these were people that uh, had probably built their identity around what they do. I mean, every day they would pull the boats and put them in the water and they would find the fish and, and whether they caught a lot of fish or didn't catch a lot of fish would determine what kind of day that they had, what kind of income they were gonna have for their family. All of their lives were wrapped up into fishermen. And he's saying, hey, life is about a lot more than what you think it is. And if you'll follow me, I'm gonna, I'm gonna help you find much greater joy in fishing in a little bit different way and, and, and developing a heart for the people that I have a heart for. And I don't know about you, but I've never been a, a much of a fisherman. Some of you probably are, but, but I don't really love the metaphor when I think about being on the other end of it, you know, having a hook stuck in your mouth and being dragged to a place you don't wanna go. That's the way we think of as fishing. That, that, back then they used nets and it was a little bit different. But Jesus says, you know what? If you'll follow me, you're gonna, you're gonna begin to have a heart for the things that I have a heart for. And you're gonna learn how to find your greatest joy and, and fishing for people and helping people experience the love and the grace and the mercy that I've come to give them. And that was his message. That was his, his, his calling on our lives. Now, how many of you are into fishing? Some of you guys are into fishing? Here's what I, I didn't realize. Uh, I became a fisherman a couple of years ago. In fact, Lisa and I decided that when the kids, uh, Christmas I think was coming, and we were like, you know what, we're gonna become a fishing family. And we're just gonna do it. And so we went over to Hadrill's, which is a fishing place here, and we, we got the net. You know, the net is good for if the fish are like right near the dock and you've got them on a line already, you can kind of use the net to, to grab them. We got a bunch of fishing poles, um, and the fishing poles are good for if the fish are further out, right? And maybe they're at the bottom and you cast this thing out and you, you put some bait on it. And, and we got some bait. I got this tackle box here. Uh, I talked to the guy. I said, I'm gonna teach my kids to be a fisherman. We got this cast net, which is great to kind of catch your bait fish. But, but, but he, taught, he taught me, I said, teach me everything I need to know. I'm gonna, be, I'm gonna take our kids fishing. We're gonna go over to the Mount Pleasant Pier and we're gonna catch some fish. And so he loaded us up with some live minnows for bait and we went out to the pier and, and things were going really well until I finally got it set up and I put the first little minnow on the hook. Uh, and my eight-year-old, she's eight now, she's about six then, starts sobbing. She's like, daddy, what are you doing to that fish? I said, I am helping this fish accomplish its purpose in life, which is to get us a bigger fish. That's what this fish wants to do. That's what this fish was born to do. And she just cried. I mean, I'm talking 10, I finally had to send her to the playground so the rest of us could do our thing. And, and needless to say, after a couple of days of, 
of fishing, not only did we not catch any fish, uh, but we ended up putting most of this stuff in the garage where it has stayed pretty much every day since then. Because fishing is hard. It's a lot harder than it looks. And if you're gonna become good at it, you need a guide. You need someone to show you because it requires patience and it requires knowledge about tides and about different types of fish and, and how to catch them. And Jesus didn't just say, hey, y'all go catch some fish. He said, follow me. And if you'll follow me, I'll show you how to do it. I'll show you how to capture my heart. Wasn't just the first thing that he said. It was also one of the very last things that he said when he left. If you flip all the way to the end of this gospel, the gospel of Mark chapter 16, verse 15, Jesus said to his followers, go everywhere in the world and tell the good news to everyone. So the first thing he said and the last thing he said is that if you're gonna follow me, one of the indicators that you are following me is you're gonna have a heart for the people who aren't already in. You're gonna have a heart for the people who are hurting and who are broken and who are drowning in their sin. You know, about two weeks ago, I got home from work on a Thursday afternoon and my wife, Lisa, and my sister-in-law, Jenna, were on a bike ride with the four-year-olds. We have a four-year-old girl, Ellie, and they've got a little four-year-old boy named Kingston. And so I parked the car and I jumped on the bike and I rode around the neighborhood and I found them. And, and we ended up riding up to the neighborhood dock that we have in our neighborhood. And we walked out to the end of the dock. And you know, in Charleston, if you have low tide, the dock has a really steep ramp, right? And if you have high tide, it's a little bit more level. What well, was low tide? And so there was a steep ramp and the four-year-olds started running up and down the ramp. Uh, and Lisa, as a mama, is like, hey, y'all be careful. And I'm like, will you just leave them alone? We're, there, we're out here. Just let them have fun. They're kids. And so about two minutes later, Ellie was running up the ramp. Kingston was running down the ramp. And they smack into each other. And Ellie falls onto the ramp. And Kingston falls and rolls off of the ramp into the water. Well, y'all remember it snowed not long ago? Uh, the water is cold. And so we run down the ramp. And, and Jenna gets there first and get to the edge of the dock. And Kingston's little face is right at the top of the water. He's, he's in shock. He's not swimming, and he's kind of just at the top of the water, and, and, and Jenna gets to the edge of the dock, and does anybody have any guesses about what Jenna did? She jumped in, right? I mean, that's what a mom does. She didn't give any consideration to what was in her pockets. She didn't give any consideration to what she was wearing. She jumped in the water, and she went after that four-year-old child. Now, what if I had told her, Jenna, you have four kids. You know, three of them are fine. <laughs> Seriously, like, I mean, they're, they're at my house jumping on the trampoline right now. Why are you so stressed out about the one? It's ridiculous, right? Of course she loves the three kids, but man, when, when a parent gets involved, their heart is gonna be focused on the one that's hurting, on the one that's in danger. And, and I can't help but wonder if when God looks out over the city of Charleston, city of Greenville, or Asheville, Columbia, Somerville, Manning, I hope that, I hope he would be proud of some of the things that have happened at Seacoast and at the other churches in our communities. I really do I think there's a lot of great things that are going on. But I can't help but wonder if his heart is not focused on the kids of his that are hurting, that have yet not, not yet found a community of people to, 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 to value them and to show them the love of God. You know, his plan all along was that it would not be him that jumps off the dock. He already did the work. He already went to the cross. But he asked us as his kids, as his followers, if we would be a part of his rescue team, that we would jump in the water and that we would go after the people who were hurting. And my prayer is that by the end of our time together, that all of us would capture that heart 
for those people. That we would resist the temptation to focus inward on our problems and our challenges, which are important. And man, this church has all kinds of opportunities for all of us to continue to grow. How many of you know we're messy when God found us, but we tend to kind of stay messy throughout the process, and, and, and that's okay. But that all of us would, as we follow him, and as we grow up in our maturity in Christ, we would continue to cultivate a heart for those people who are hurting. And so if, if you're on board with that, the real question is how? You know, how do we do that? How, how, do we, how do we care for those people? How do we become, how do, how do we learn how to fish? if literally that's what we wanna go, go on this journey. And I think as we follow Jesus, we're gonna see some real practical things that we can do as his followers that will help us to learn how to cultivate a heart for those who haven't yet got there. The first thing that we can do is become aware. Become aware. You know, two, two areas of awareness. One is what we just talked about. I think we're all there. Like that we would become aware that this is part of God's plan for our lives. And, and if you weren't aware before you came in, now we're all on the same page. We're all aware that this is part of God's plan for us. But if I'm aware of my calling, then, then that means I'm gonna need to cultivate an awareness of the people that God has put in my life. You know, the Bible says in Acts that he has appointed the, the times and the seasons and the places in which all of us would live. And, and that we would live with a sense of awareness about God, who, who are you at work on right now? Where are you working and, and, and how can I increase and live with a level of awareness about the people that are in my life? Who, who are you hanging out with right now, building relationships with, living life with that doesn't yet know Jesus? Or maybe that is in a season where they're drowning in maybe a marriage issue or maybe a financial crisis or drowning in a sense of maybe even isolation or loneliness. Have you thought about that? Who, who are those people? You know, as we're kind of tracking along and we're gonna do something with this later, you guys have a worship guide and maybe somewhere on that worship guide, it could be during, in the comments area on the back, maybe you just wanna write down some of those names. Who are those people? You know, for me, they're in a lot of different environments that, that I'm, I'm in. I, I work out at a gym every week and I'm really building relationship and connecting with some people who are great people, many of whom don't have any background in church. And, and I'm just kind of going, okay, God, I wanna be aware of, of these people, I wanna be thinking about them. Don't let me sleepwalk through this calling that you have in my life. Don't let me be so distracted with the technology and all that that I'm not paying attention to the people. Miles plays soccer, I've talked to you about that. There's some great families that we're kind of getting to know as each of these seasons passes by and many of them don't go to church and, and I don't know where they are but I'm praying that God would give me a sense of an awareness just that I would be able to, 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 to just be aware, to know what's going on in their life. And here's the key question for us. If we're gonna go ahead and assume that God's already at work in their life, we know his heart is already focused on them, then, then the question for me is, okay, God, what's my part in this person's journey to Christ? What is my part in this person's journey to Christ? You know, I, I was on an airplane the other day, and uh, I get, you know, we were in the boarding process, and I overheard a conversation. A young couple was in front of me, and they were talking to somebody else, and they were telling this other person that they're gonna move to Charleston in about three or four months, and they're gonna be living off of Clements Ferry Road. Well, I live off of Clements Ferry Road, and so I just kinda jumped in and was like, oh, that's cool, I live over there too. What part are you gonna live on? And so just kinda got to know him, small talk. Uh, he was wearing an Eagles hat. It was, I think, 
a week or so before the Super Bowl, and so talked about football a little bit, and, and it was cool. We didn't think anything about it. Then we got onto the plane, and we were getting into our seats, and he stopped in row 19, and he said, hey, you know, my name's so-and-so, and, and it's good to meet you, and I introduced myself, and said, that's cool, and it just so happened that my seat was right next to theirs. And I was like, oh, it looks like I'm sitting right next to you guys, and it was like, oh, cool, and that's when sort of I started to think, okay, God, are you doing something here? I don't know, uh, but I wanna be aware, I wanna be paying attention to what's going on, and so I began to ask this question. I've made it a habit to ask this question. What's my role in this process? Why am I here? What's, the, what's this all about? And if I were a good preacher, I would tell you that I led them to Jesus right there on that airplane. And you wouldn't even know the difference if I did or not, but I didn't. Uh, had a great conversation, talked about my favorite restaurants, talked about all this stuff. And eventually I found out that they were already working for a company remotely, but they're coming to move here to work for this company. And, and then they asked me the question that I dread anytime I'm on an airplane. It's, what do you do for a living? And just, just so you know, that can kind of shut down a conversation uh, quickly. And so I've got lots of creative ways to not lie and answer that question. You know, uh, well, I work for a nonprofit and uh, we uh, just all around the world do medical missions and clothe the, the, the naked and feed the, the hungry and, you know, heal the sick. It's just a cool, and they're like, oh, that is awesome. How can I get involved? What's, it's actually the local church. Uh, oh, okay, I never thought of it that way. It's true, but it's not all the way true. So this time I thought, I'm just gonna tell the truth because uh, they're moving here. And it's, yeah, I serve, you know, in a church called Seacoast in Charleston. And it was fine. They, they were cool. They didn't, you know, shut down. And I gave them my card and who knows what God might do. I felt like my role in their journey what it, wherever that was, was to give them a pleasant interaction with the Christ follower. That was it. It was like just, they're gonna know where I stand and they're gonna not think that I'm crazy. Becoming aware doesn't mean becoming a weirdo. You know, sometimes that happens where we're like, you know, living with this hyper sense of aware, you know, like don't, don't, don't be weird, you know, in the wrong ways, but uh, just become aware. What's my role in their journey? I love how Paul said this in, in Corinthians. He's talking to these people and he says, you know, my work with you was to plant the seed in your hearts. Apollos' work was to water it but it was God, not we, who made the garden grow in your hearts. And he just recognized that he had a, heart to, a part to play in their lives, but, but there were other people that would come along and play a part as well. And ultimately, it is God who would cause any fruit to grow in our lives. Who would, who would, only God can change somebody's heart, right? We all, a lot of us have stories about when that happened in our own lives, and so we just recognize, become aware. Once we become aware, second thought for us is to be in prayer. Be in prayer. You know, and that's when we remind ourselves of what we just saw in that scripture. That whatever our part is in the process, God's part is a whole lot bigger. That it is God who will draw people to himself. It is God who will take a, a dead heart and breathe life back into it. It's God who can, you know, restore a broken marriage. That's the work of God. We have a part to play in it, but man, we gotta be in prayer. And if you're like me, sometimes you're like, I don't know how to pray or what to do. And so I just wanna give you five quick, easy kind of thoughts as you're thinking about the people that are in your life, the people that maybe you've written down on your, your worship guide. How, how do you pray for them? Couple of things. Pray that the Father would draw them to Jesus. Just pray, you know, John 6, 44, God, that you would, that something would start to happen, that there would become a, a spiritual openness in their life and that the Father would begin to draw them to himself. You, you can pray against the spirit that blinds their minds. I don't know if you believe this or not, but not only is there a good force in this world that, that began it called God and, and his son Jesus who died for our sin, there is also an enemy that is at work in all of our lives that would love to distract. The Bible says he came to steal, kill, and destroy. And so whether that's your child that you're praying for, whether that's a loved one that you work with or whatever it is, just be praying against 
whatever spirit's at work, spirit of anxiety, spirit of fear, spirit of isolation, just begin to pray against the, the work of the enemy. That I love Old Testament prayers when it comes to that. It's like, man, I'm praying that, uh, well, I, I won't get into all of them, but the, just that the, the enemy's plans would be disrupted and that he wouldn't have any power over their lives. You can also pray that they come to know God relationally. You know, that it wouldn't be that they would be sucked into religion, which is all about us getting it together and then finding approval because of that. That doesn't, that doesn't work, that's not the gospel. But they would be drawn to a father who loves them relationally, that they would under, begin to understand this relationship with the father. Pray that believers, I would say like cool believers, will cross their paths and enter into positive relationships with them. You know, like pray that, that, that life-giving people would come around them and that they would begin to have these experiences of believers who show love for them and compassion for them and take an interest in their life. Begin to pray that God would just supernaturally put some people into their lives that would affect them in a, in a great way. Pray for a revelation of who Jesus is and what he's done for them. What is that? That's that aha moment that you had. That moment where the gospel just becomes very clear and there's a revelation of what Jesus did in their life. Begin to pray that these things will happen. So I'm gonna become aware, I'm gonna be in prayer. A, a third thought for us is show them that you care. Yes, they are all gonna rhyme. And I may even wrap it at some point. I, I'm just, I'm feeling the spirit here. Show them that you care. Show them that you care. You know, when we think about this whole idea of becoming fishers, learning to fish, the, the Bible word and kind of the churchy word is evangelism, right? And some of you have heard that term. And, and I think this is where it gets challenging for us in our culture because that word has taken on a lot of different meanings for a lot of different people, right? I mean, what comes to your mind when you think of the word evangelist? What comes to your mind? Some of you might go like the Billy Graham route, which, you know, obviously an incredible evangelist in our lives. But honestly, for me, just in the way that I grew up, when I think about the word evangelist, what comes to mind for me is the guy with the bullhorn downtown. You know, he's loud, he's angry, you know, something's happened in his life, and he seems to be mad at everybody else. You know, I don't know if you've seen this, this person, and I'm not talking about a specific one, but, but I've seen them in a lot of different cities. Sometimes I'll see him downtown Charleston, and when I see this guy and I'm walking towards him, what I do is I go across the street and go the other direction, because unless I wanna fight, and then I might kinda go argue with him, but usually I just wanna cross the street, because it's just not a real positive interaction for me. And, and so it can be hard when we talk about becoming fishers of men to kinda, almost we, we throw the baby out with the bathwater because we see where maybe it's been done in some ways that, that our culture has rejected and not that the culture has also rejected a lot of stuff Jesus said, by the way. That's why we're doing the series. Some of the things he said aren't real easy to, to, to hear. You know, there are some things that our culture says that Jesus said that he actually never said you know, and so that's, I'm hoping during this series we'll get to it, but, but in, in a different sort of a way, we can go, well, man, some approaches to this have really maybe done even more damage than they have good. And so let, let me ask you a different question, a key question when you think about this. What comes to mind when you think about the person who is most responsible for you coming to know Christ? Forget about what comes to mind when you think of an evangelist. What comes to mind when you think about the person who is most responsible for you coming to know Christ. Does anybody come to mind? You know, for me, there was a guy named Hal. And Hal came into my life when I was about 17 years old and, and I, was, I was building a pretty strong testimony during that season of my life. I mean, I was, 
I was running hard after anything that God would have for me. I'd moved out of my house and, and, and Hal came into my life. And you know what Hal never did, actually? He never really approached me about all the things I was doing wrong, at least not early on. Hal just began to take interest in my life. He would show up to the, the things that I was interested in. He would be patient with me. He would have these long conversations with me. And eventually I was like, why is this guy like showing interest in my life? Why is this guy always encouraging me? Why is this guy always speaking to my potential and to my future? And, and, and over time, he just became a, a really trusted advisor, mentor guy. And eventually, Hal had an awareness of what God was doing in my life. And eventually, in a small group, I've told the story before, Hal leaned into that and he said, I wonder if there's something that God's trying to say to you right now and, and, and would you be open to receiving Jesus? And that was when I committed my life to Christ. Everything changed, but it was a guy named Hal and several others, by the way, who just showed love for me. They showed that they cared. And, and, and what if it was really that simple? You become aware, you, become the, you be, be in prayer, and then you just show them that you care. Show them that you care. That's the picture of an evangelist that I want you to have. You know, this next verse is the, the verse that if you got a worship guide, all of us got it in our worship guide. And I, I love this passage. In fact, why don't you pull that out if you, if you have it. And uh, this would be a great one to memorize. This would be a great one to remind you of what God did for you. And, and I've got it on the screen here. In fact, why don't we read this one out loud? Why don't we read it out loud? It says, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us once we got it all together. Oh, I'm sorry. I messed that up. Let's try that again. He, he sent Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Romans 2 said it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. It was while we were still sinners. It was before we figured it out. It was before we understood all that there was to understand. And it was then that God demonstrated. It wasn't just words. It was a demonstration of his love for us. And I believe as we follow him, he wants us to demonstrate that love to the people in our lives as well. I believe he wants us to take interest in people's lives. You know, when I was eight or 10 years old, fishing was fun and I wasn't all that concerned about you know, getting my hands dirty and the scales and the clothes and all that stuff. But you know, the older we get, the, the less tolerant we are for messiness. I think that's true in our lives as well. The longer we get in, kind of insulated in the walls of the church, the, the, the less tolerant we are of kind of the messiness that, that is this world. Would you agree there's a lot of messiness out there right now? I think Jesus wants us to lean into that, not to be afraid, to demonstrate that we care, to demonstrate that we love. In fact, that's what Jesus did. I mean, if you follow him through the gospels, what you'll see is time after time after time, demonstrations of his love for people. You remember when he was going to heal a very important man's daughter, a lot of people around him, and this woman who had felt ostracized by the church, this woman who didn't really have a place in the faith community because of the condition that she had, she touches his robe. And Jesus feels power go out from him. And In other words, a miracle happened when she touched his robe. He could have just kept right on going, but he stopped everything. He said, hang on a second, something happened. And, and he, he looks at this woman and he, and he assigns a value to her. He says, daughter, you know, relational, remember we talk about relationally? He says, daughter, your faith has made you well. I wanna encourage you, I wanna validate you. You know, and, 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 and he, he assigns value. He shows that he cares. You remember when another woman, I think it's in uh, John chapter eight, when this woman who had been caught in adultery, 
caught in some major messiness. And the very community that you would think might restore somebody and demonstrate that they care was dragging her to Jesus. And their primary concern wasn't what was going on in this woman's heart. It was what kind of punishment does she need for what she's done? And they bring her to Jesus and they say, the scriptures say we should stone her. What do you say? It's easy. It's just amazing to me how easy it is for, for us to just get it wrong, to, to miss it and, and our posture in people's lives. And what does Jesus do? He says to this woman, after he kind of got rid of the crowd, he says, you know what? They're not condemning you and I'm not either. Now go and sin no more. He didn't, it's not that Jesus didn't think that sin was a big deal. He thought what sin was a huge deal. He died for it. You know, that's not what this is about. Don't mishear me. But it's that Jesus knew that his love was greater than any sin, that his love could cover a multitude of sins. And that's what his posture was. And so what could you do to show that you care? You're thinking about these people in your life. What would be some practical expressions that you could take to show them that you care about them? You know, it's really pretty simple these days. We got social media, right? You already know what they're doing almost all the time. You know, you know what they're interested in. What would that look like for you? You know, when they're going through a hard time, I'm so proud of the, the people in this church that will, you throw out a take them a meal deal and it's like full. Like, I mean, but you can feed people. You know, take, you can just send them a, a text. You know, tell them, speak a word of encouragement over them. What would it look like for you? Think about that, to show them that you care. So I'm gonna become aware. I'm gonna be in prayer. I'm gonna show them that I care. And, and here's the deal. If you do those three things, I guarantee you, you'll have an opportunity to do the fourth, which is be willing to share. If you do those three things, there will come a moment where a door is open to you, where people go, I, I, what's going on? You know, what, what is it that's important? I wanna know what makes you tick because there's something about the way you're treating me that's attractive, that's drawing me in. I, lo I love this passage on your outline sheet. It says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. I, I love that. Because it doesn't say always be prepared to give a perfect explanation of the four spiritual laws so that you may lead them to Christ. You know, that's great. No problem with the four spiritual laws, but the reality is most of us, if we're just being honest, we feel unqualified to share our faith. It feels like a difficult thing, but that's why this says, be prepared to give an answer to, to everyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that you have. It's a personal thing. God has done some really cool things in your life, and what the scripture's saying is, be ready to share your story. We all have a story. Be ready to share your story when, when the opportunity comes to give a reason for the hope that you have. And, and not everybody's gonna feel comfortable having a, conversation leading people to Christ, but, but you can lead them to your church. You can lead them to the place where maybe you've discovered this and, and together we can kind of be on this journey of sharing the gospel, the good news. And there are people out there that are, that are hurting, that are drowning. It's our job, it's our place to be a voice of hope to those people. Did you know there's a lot of research that's done on this kind of thing and most of the stats would say that about 85% of people who have a relationship with Christ would say that the reason they have a relationship with Christ is because somebody in their life helped them get there. Someone in their life 
reached out, invited them to church, had a conversation with them, showed them that they cared. You know, another stat is that about three in 10 Christians will ever invite another Christian with them, or another person with them to church. Let's not be that church. Let's go back to our roots. Let's not forget what this journey is all about. Be willing to, to share your faith. Be willing to share your story. You know, I don't know a lot about fishing. I, uh, I've picked it back up some. I've always done better with a guide. But here's what I know. Uh, this, this right here is a cast net. And um, it may not look like your cast nets because it's kind of a beginner's cast net. But here, here's what I can tell you about this is that right now, there is no possible way that this net's gonna catch any fish because it's dry. The only way that this net is gonna be productive for what it was made to do is when it goes out of the boat or off of the dock and into the water. And here's what I'm asking you as group of people, many of you whom call yourself seacoasters, some of you may even be here for the first time. Let's be the kind of people that get our, our, our nets wet, that put them in the water, that, that, that pay attention, that become aware of the people around us, that are in prayer for the people around us, that'll demonstrate that we care and that we'll be willing to get out there and, and get our nets wet. You know, Easter's coming soon. Got about a month before we celebrate the greatest news the greatest story that's ever been told still feels too good to be true. That while we were sinners, Jesus died for us. That, that in Christ, God doesn't think about or have much concern for the things that bring you guilt or shame or condemnation. That he says, I don't condemn you either. Look at you through the lens of Jesus. Would you guys bow with me as we close in prayer? And you know, um, as we kind of move into this time of prayer here and at our campuses, I can't help but wonder if there might be a few of us in the room who would say, you know, I, I kind of feel like I'm in that place where I'm drowning, going through a hard season and I'm kind of wondering if anybody even notices it. You know, I just wanna give you an opportunity, if that's you today, to just say yes to Jesus. He's already offered you an escape plan. He's offered you a rescue plan. He has gone to great lengths. We've sung about it. We've talked about it. And maybe he's kind of stirring you right now that you're at a place where you don't make a decision to lean into that. And as we bow our heads and close our eyes, I'm gonna just say a prayer uh, over you. Just say a prayer of just asking Jesus to, to come into our lives, to receive the, the salvation that he offers and to set us on a track to follow him into an amazing adventure. And if, if you're here today and you want me to include you in that prayer, I just wanna ask you to raise your hand. Uh, just raise your hand. I'm count to three and you raise your hand and I'm just gonna say a, a prayer for you. One, two, three. If that's you, just raise your hand. Okay, awesome. At the campuses, just raise your hand. Fantastic, fantastic. God, we pray right now and we thank you right now that from the very beginning of your ministry here on earth, you had us in mind. You had the broken and the hurting and the disconnected. And so God, as we come to you today, many of us feeling that way, wanting to come into a relationship with you, we just come to you and we say yes to you, Jesus. Would you, uh, Lord, we recognize we don't understand it all. We don't know all there is to know, but we know that we have sin 
that has separated us from you. And we know that you, Jesus, have come to die on a cross and overcame that sin so that we could have life. And we wanna receive that. In the best way that we know how, we say yes to you today. We thank you for your forgiveness. We thank you for your salvation. And we thank you, Lord, that from this day forward, we can be confident in the hope that we have in you. And God, may we as a church never lose our sense of urgency, never lose our boldness, never lose our passion for the people that you're passionate about. Let our hearts break for the people that your hearts are broken for. Don't let us walk around insulated and sleepwalking through this incredible calling that you have for us. And may we continue to have a heart for the hurting and the broken. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.